Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Join me in the book of Romans chapter 8. We're going to read two passages of scripture and uh, just pray that the Lord will help us. Uh, I've never been um, someone to do a lot of baking, but I I can remember when my mother would bake and uh, you want to be real careful that something didn't mess up. You was just hoping that what you pull out of the oven was going to be what you, you know, kind of resemble what was on the picture the I kind of feel like that tonight I feel like I'm setting something in the oven and so we're just going to pray and ask God to help us that it kind of comes out like I feel it in my heart the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18 and 19 we're familiar with verse 18 for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and we often If we don't quote that verbatim, we often refer to that. I reckon the sufferings of this present time will just somehow pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us. And then verse number 19, the Bible says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so if we're not careful when we read something that we're familiar with, like verse number 18, and then we get to a verse like number 19 that's a little bit wordy, we just kind of move on. Amen. But I want to preach this evening, or talk about at least from this subject taken from verse 19. I want to talk about the manifestation of the sons of God. For I reckon the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared, but there's a reason for it all. That reason is wrapped up in verse number 19. Amen. You can be seated and thank you for your worship. What a great atmosphere in this building tonight. And so I said again, I'll repeat that we are more familiar with the sufferings of this present time, verse 18, perhaps than we are with verse number 19. And it would seem as though when you're reading through the scripture, especially if there is a little bit of familiarity in one place, it would seem that these two verses have nothing in common because Paul talks about in verse number 18, suffering, the word suffering or the suffering of this present world or he pluralizes that the sufferings, plural, of this present world are not worthy to be compared. And then it appears that Paul addresses something completely different in verse number 19. In this verse, he speaks of the world looking at the church with a sense of expectation. And I will read that again. For the earnest expectation of the creature, the creature is humanity. The earnest expectation of humanity waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That expectation, that word expectation, that's not random 
And that's not just thrown in into the mix, but there is an expectation of something. And that something is the manifestation of the sons of God. And so when you begin to tie these scriptures together, I believe that there is a, uh, a bold common thread that runs through them together. And so I will just kind of pause now and get to the meat of what we want to talk about here this evening. I believe with all of my heart that people in general look at the church and they see one of two things. If we talk about the church corporate body, that they see one of two things. They may see you as an individual that has a profession of Christianity and you belong to or a member of or associated with a certain congregation. Or they may view the church as the church body collectively. They will see you as an individual, me as an individual, or see the church or see us as a body collectively, maybe either or or both at times. They may see you as an individual because they have a relationship with you. Maybe it's somebody in your family or somebody that you work with or a neighbor or whatever the case may be. They may see you individually going through something, a very difficult time in your life. Maybe you lost a loved one or you lost a job or many other things that we could insert into that mix that may shake up your world. And so they watch you individually go through something or at times, it's certainly true that a church body can go through something collectively. We understand that being a part of a church that you can go through something collectively. And many times that's sort of an in-house kind of thing. We're going through whatever the situation may be, but some things may make its way uh, to, the, to the front page, so to speak. And so people watch the church body go through something collectively. We've had churches in our fellowship that in our own state that have been devastated by storms that uh, completely obliterated their buildings. And so when something like that happens, and uh, we have uh, a few of our churches in the Panama City area, uh, two of those churches are on main Throughways through Panama City and surrounding cities. And, and so a whole community, day by day, watches a church go through something collectively. And so I want that to kind of make sense. It uh, give you perhaps a word picture. They watch the bulldozers uh, push over the rest of what was left. And they watch months and months go by. In one situation, they watched a tent set up and a church family that gathered in a tent for many months having their worship services and then the construction crews digging a footer and rebuilding and now a few weeks ago I was privileged to go stand in a brand new building that was there and so the entire community, the neighbors, not just the next door neighbors but the entire neighborhood watched this church collectively go through something. It was a season of suffering. It was a season of loss and so when the world looks at you and I, they are whether they come up and announce this or not, whether they send you a card in the mail, they're just going to see how you're going to handle this. How are you going to deal with this situation? Or in, the, in that case, I'll just say go back to the church that lost their facility. Or are you just out of business? Are you going to close down? And is this it? Or will somehow, will you rise from the ashes of yesterday's storm? They're watching to see how you're going to handle that. And so, 
That's why the responsibility is so weighty for us to understand that someone is watching to see and weigh, not judgmentally or not critically or cynically, but they're just watching to see how we're gonna navigate our way through this storm. When life doesn't turn out like you planned, will you continue to stand upon the word of God? I've said many times, and I say this humbly, but for over 32 years now, God has given me a bird's eye view to watch people that I know are going through tremendous storms in their life, some of that private, other times public, but I've watched them come through those back doors and and not sit through praise and worship with their arms down and uh, not with their head down and not with a bad spirit or attitude, but somehow through the pain and all the peril, they just continued to worship the Lord. They weren't dancing because everything had been obliterated in their life. They weren't shouting because they had lost everything, but they were, they were doing all those things in spite of. They were continuing to press on. And so when seasons of suffering and discomfort come our way, I believe that we need to stand on the word of God irrespective of the things that we face. And I believe the answer to that or the reason for that is found in verse number 19, and that is because the world is watching for the manifestation of the sons of God. We're gonna watch and see how you handle this. We're gonna just test you, you know. Um, I've never had at this point, hope to never have to do that, but when you begin to have some measures of heart conditions, they they take you and they, they give you what they literally admit is a stress test. And we're just going to walk and we're just going to keep inclining and inclining and we're going to try to trigger whatever is going on. We're just going to watch and see at what point is the breaking point. We're going to see at what point, uh, at, at what point we begin to, issues begin to show up. And, and so here we are walking in a world and there are certain things that we go through and there are people that are watching. And again, I don't mean they're watching with a critical eye. I don't mean they're waiting in the wings for you to fail. That's not what I'm talking about. But they're waiting because they want to see the manifestation of the sons of God. They're tired. Here's why. They're tired of people professing to be something they're not. They're tired of people with the Bible under their arm on Sunday and a can of beer in their hand on Monday. Let's just tell it like it is. Amen. They're tired of somebody trying to sober up enough to teach a Sunday school class. And it happens. It happens every day all around our world. And so they're, they're looking for somebody that, are, that will not back up at the first sign of trouble. Not somebody that says, I'm going to pack it all in just because things are not going my way. But if you're looking for me, I'm going to be in the house of God, whether the sun is shining or whether the world around me is crumbling. These are what they have. The Bible talks about those that have the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They got a form of something. But inside, it's not really real, not really real. Somewhere in our individual experience, and I believe even in our church experience, we have to get to the place where sufferings or even distractions in life, how you want to categorize them, do not detour us from the main thing. We have got to stay focused. We've got to reach the place where nothing can push us back from the purpose of God in our lives. Someone that just keeps climbing because they know there's a prize at the top. Someone that keeps pressing because they know there is something worth pressing for at the other side. The trials can't 
cause us to pause and, and, and become dissuaded from the purpose of God. I've preached about it from the book of Isaiah before. The scripture seems to, to distinctly talk about the presence of God and the place of God. The presence of God and the purpose of God. And many times we're more in love with the presence of God than we are the purpose of God. I don't want to just get addicted to the presence of God and forget that God has called me for a purpose. And that purpose, and when we walk in our purpose, when we discover the purpose, that's where fulfillment truly comes. The things we encounter in life really should bring us closer to God Things that we encounter in life should deepen our convictions about certain things. And I believe that they ought to deepen and strengthen our commitment to the Lord. We have confidence of, of Paul in our heart that, that should have the confidence of Paul in our heart. That Paul said that the sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in this. And so when we get to heaven... It's then, of course, that we receive our due rewards. I believe that God does reward here on this earth. I believe I've been the recipient of many rewards of the Lord, and I'm sitting with people that are recipients of many rewards of the Lord. But by being faithful to our, being faithful to the Lord through trials, through tribulation, the world is convinced of something. They are convinced that you really who you are, who you say you are. They're convinced that this is a real thing. This is not a Sunday, Wednesday thing. This is not, a, this is not an Easter, Mother's Day thing. <laughs> this is not a Christmas, New Year's thing. I mean, something is solidified in our heart. We've got something in our life. We, we're purposed to do the will of God. People are tired of imposters. <laughs> you know, there's, our world is just filled with imposters. You've probably gotten a call this week alarming you about your car warranty going out. You should look into that. You, you may have gotten a call this year or an email this year, just, you know, just a little tip that you're about to be arrested by the IRS for back taxes and imposters, people that are just trying to wiggle and work their way in and you know, it, it is amusing at times, but it is frustrating to think of how many people fall for those ploys and those plots and, and are taken advantage of. And, and people are so tired of imposters. They're looking for something that's real. And I want tonight to announce this, and I say it boldly, but with humility. They're looking for something real, and we have it. Yeah. Amen. We have it. We have found the power in the presence of God. It's not in us. It's not in us. It's not in this church. It's not just locked up in this building. It's not just tied up or interwoven only exclusively into the ministries of this church. But I'm thankful to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm glad that I have repented of my sins. I've been buried in his name and baptism in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sin. I'm thankful for the power of his infilling in my spirit that is evidenced initially by speaking with other tongues, but that's, the, that's just the initial sign of the Holy Ghost. But I'm thankful for the signs that follow, which is the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. The world, are they're tired of imposters and they're looking for someone that has something real. And I say the Word of God has the thing that's real. And it's, it's, if you deal with people that try to demean your walk with God, if you deal with people that speak condescendingly about your faith in God, please listen to what the Scripture says about about that in first Peter chapter 2 and verse number 12 Peter said having your conversation honest among the Gentiles 
that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which shall, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Amen. Another translation of that says it this way. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Now when the, the scripture is talking about Gentiles in the New Testament, they're really referring to sinners. So he says, keep your conduct among sinners honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good work and glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm gonna go back to the King James version of that and read it again a different way. Having your conversation, having your conduct, honest among sinners that whereas are right now they speak against you as evildoers but that they may by your good works he says which they shall behold Amen, by your good works, which they are going to see. Amen, they're going to see that and they're going to glorify God in the day of visitation. Can I tell you that the world is watching and they're passing judgment on you either individually or they're passing judgment collectively. Amen, but they must be able to behold our good works so that when their day of visitation comes, they have something to hold them. I'm gonna tell you, they may speak critically about you. They they may speak critically about the church collectively, <laughs> but they're seeing something good that's going on. Amen. That's what the scripture says. Amen. They may behold your goods, which they shall behold and glorify God in their day of in the day of visitation. Can I tell you that the day of visitation can refer to judgment, but it also could also point toward the potential of their own salvation. I believe that they may speak critically. I'm gonna tell you that I believe we're worshiping with people, not necessarily in this building, but we're worshiping with people in the church collectively that they too, like the apostle Paul, were cynics and critics of the church, but they kept watching and they kept coming around and they kept beholding your good works. They kept seeing something and finally their cynicism had to give way to faith and they said, you know, something is real. I don't really understand all this hand clapping. I don't really understand people raising their hands. I don't understand the preacher. I don't understand the preacher getting all excited. I don't understand, but I'll tell you, there's something that I see that is real. There's something that's palatable. Hallelujah. Paul said, they will see that. They will see that. Or, or Peter said, they will see that and glorify God in the day of visitation. I believe there's coming a day that God is going to visit every heart because he said, time and chance happeneth to all. And I believe that those that have been a part, associated even from a distance, are going to be able to say, you know what? This must be what they feel. This must be how they feel. This must be the spirit of God and the power of God. And when God has a holy visitation in their life, they're going to be able to relate to that. Hallelujah. It may be your testimony. It may be your testimony that helps witness to them when the Lord begins to deal with them. The Bible says in Romans eleven thirty three, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Sometimes we just don't know the way of the Lord. And that's where the element of faith comes in because we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Amen. So that's why we say to the Lord, if you will lead, I will follow. And then we don't just do that with our lips, but we do it with our lives. It's easy to say from 
the vantage point of a pulpit or it's easy to say from the vantage point of a pew that, that Lord, wherever you lead me, I will follow. But I believe I'm talking to people that had to, had to make good on that promise. That when the Lord's got off the beaten path, you know, the cloud and the uh, of fire by day and uh, the cloud by day and the pillow of fire by night didn't just take the path of least resistance. The children of Israel just didn't go from point A to point B at the shortest distance, but the Spirit led them, amen, high mountains and low valleys here and there. And we've got to be committed on that day. When we say, Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. I'm going to follow you, Lord, when it's easy. I'm going to follow you when it's hard. I'm gonna follow you, Lord, when the grass is green and I'm gonna follow you, Lord, when there's no rain from the sky. Amen. We see things from a human perspective. We've asked ourselves, how could this happen to me? We've asked ourselves, why did this happen to me? But God sees things from a different perspective. Isaiah says his ways are above ours, thoughts above ours. And so I have to learn to accept the way of the Lord. In life, there is suffering and pain. Man is a few days full of trouble. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Writers warn us. But through it all, there may be people that are waiting for that manifestation of the sons of God. Not waiting for you, please understand, I'm not suggesting they're waiting for you to fail. They're waiting for you to win. To win. To keep standing. Sometimes we don't understand everything and in in those seasons we have to walk by faith. I could ask you tonight for a showing of hands but I'm confident there would be many if not 100% that we've had seasons of absolutely walking by faith and not by sight. You were even at church by faith. Not by sight. In the ninth chapter of the book of John, the disciples, at times, we watch them sort of confused by the happenings in the ministry of the Lord. They, They don't always get it right. They were walking with him, but they were flesh and blood like you and I. And so the disciples, just like we, many times can misunderstand the circumstances at hand. And the Bible talks about in in the ninth chapter of the book of John that the Lord comes into a city and the Bible says this, that the Lord fastened his eyes or he looked upon a blind man. And so when the Lord looked upon this blind man, fastened his eyes on this blind man, I'm just assuming this, playing this in my own mind that that the, that the parade stops, the crowd stops, and now all of the attention in a moment of time is on this blind man, Jesus perhaps, with his disciples and with other followers and other curious people that are just walking with them, walk into the city, and when Jesus sees the blind man, he fastens his eyes, and just somehow in that I read that he, he pauses, he stops, and in that moment of hesitation, the disciples trying to wax all spiritual, they say, who is the sinner here? Did this man sin? Did his parents sin? I mean, they get all analytical. They're just gonna try to get down to the root cause of why this man is blind and they completely missed the entire point of it all. And the Lord said, no one has sinned. He didn't sin, his parents didn't sin. 
But he said, but the, the works of God might be made manifest or might be manifest in him. Amen, I'm talking about the manifestation of the sons of God. They said, well, we must have sin in the camp. And so this boy is born blind. Either he has done something that causes blindness, his parents have done something that causes blindness. But Jesus said, none of the above is true. I want there to be a manifestation here. I want to witness to somebody here. Amen. And there, there was some suffering and there was some pain. And, and, and there was some days that this young man, I'm sure, went through some things that were unthinkable. You could have only, I believe, gone to the blind man or the formerly blind man and ask him about his former days and I believe that he would somehow link his arms into the arm of the apostle Paul and just say the suffering of this present time is not even worthy to be compared of the sight that I have now, the vision that I have now, the suffering of the years prior to, prior to this day the suffering of the months up to this moment, the suffering of the nights and the days that led up to this very intersection can't even compare to what happened to me whenever the Lord Jesus Christ healed my eyes and made them whole. Hallelujah. I'm gonna tell you tonight that the glory outweighs the suffering every time. We may feel at times our back bent against the weight of it all, but when the Lord reaches down and places our feet back on a rock, we can say that the suffering of this present time wasn't worthy to be compared with what God is doing in our lives. And so if we accept his way, he will lead us to the path that will guide us in, in our steps in the right direction. And, and so the, the story of this blind man is, is a very interesting story because after the disciples thought that he was blind because he had sinned or his parents, and then after he's healed comes along the religious sect of the day and they want to know all about the man that healed him. So everybody's missing the point. Can we not see can we not understand? This boy was blind. And now he can see. And so when they are pummeling him with one question after the other, one after the other, and I believe these questions were condescending because of where they were coming from, he was just a young boy. If you put ourselves, or a young man, if we put ourselves in that position and people in authority, in religious authority are asking you all kind of questions and finally he just summarized it all by saying this one thing I know, whereas I once was blind, now I see. I don't know the answers to the questions you're asking me. I don't know how to, to uh, I don't know how to put all of this out in a way that, get, that you can digest it. I can just tell you this, that a few moments ago I was blind and I have been blind. But now I see, amen, God has healed me. I'm gonna tell you that there was a manifestation. God said, I wanna show you something, amen. I wanna show you something. In John 11, there was a tragedy that struck the home of Mary and Martha. Their brother, Lazarus, had died. The Lord received a message of his illness. And in John 11 and four, he declares, he said, this sickness, the sickness that you're reporting to me is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. Now what a strange response. Lazarus is sick. Your friend, someone that you are close to, associated in your flesh, somebody that you're near and dear to. But the Lord told them even from a distance that it is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. Amen. He is saying this, that he's going through is not a permanent situation, no matter how permanent it seems, but it is done for the glory of God. And that is why it is so important for us. Amen. It is so 
important for us to accept the ways of God. Amen. They're far above us. I remember many years ago, Brother Mike Williams was preaching a message that because of the times about this very story and the title of his message was The Stink Won't Stop Him. <laughs> <laughs> the stink won't stop him. Well, it's been four days. Aren't you afraid to go to the tomb? Aren't you afraid to be associated? The stink won't stop him because he knew this is not a permanent thing. I know it seems permanent to you. I know it smells permanent to you. I know it seems there is no way out, but I'm gonna tell you it is not a sickness unto death, but there's some glory. There's gonna be a manifestation, hallelujah, I just want to tell somebody in the Holy Ghost today, amen, to just try to stand up one more time even under the heavy load that you bear. Try to keep pressing forward even against the sailing winds that come against you because there is something about the manifestation of the power of God. Somebody is looking. Somebody is watching. Somebody is observing how you're going to walk and how you're going to carry on. God is going to get some glory in all of this. In John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. Probably the verse, first verse many of us committed to memory. <laughs> Jesus wept. He stood with tears in his eyes while the devil put thoughts in the hearts of the Pharisees. It was thoughts that caused them to say things like, this was the man who opened the eyes of the blind. It was that spirit of expectation, that expectation of the creature that Paul talked about in Romans. If Mary and Martha will go through the pain, God will do more than what the world expected. They thought him to come along, give a few condolences, say a few kind words, and keep walking. But he did more than that. And in the end, there would be glory for Mary and Martha as well. And so the creature will understand that God is the provider and God is the resurrection and he is the life. Now, not only did, did Lazarus arise, but the creature has also received the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, can, can you just imagine seeing a dead man raised alive? I mean, the Bible is very descriptive in the story of Lazarus. Go unbind him. Take his grave clothes off. This is not a mystical, maybe, might have been. Amen. What a powerful thing that happened. Who could deny the power of God? And so I believe that when people watch you individually or they watch the church collectively, Go through some trouble and never stop loving God. Just keep believing what's right. In the end, good always outweighs the bad. I want to. I want to hurry here, and I'll turn to Psalms. I'll ask our musicians to come, if you will. Psalms thirty-seven and one: Fret not thyself because of evildoers; neither be thou envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself in the Lord. Here's one of those scriptures that we land on. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. You see, sometimes we take verse 4 
and we turn it around and we say, Lord, if you'll give me the desires of my heart, then I'll serve you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll trust you. Amen. I'll, I'll, but no, that's not how it goes. We need to get our principles straight. We need to give ourselves to God first and tell the Lord that we're going to serve him. I'm going to keep serving you if I get the promotion or not, if I get the job or not. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep serving you if I get my healing or not. I'm going to keep serving you if my family gets back together or not. I'm going to just keep serving you. Amen. 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 Psalms 37 and 25, David said this, I have been young and now I am, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous, not seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. And so if we accept his way, walk in his will, then, then we have this assurance that we'll never be begging bread. Sometimes God is going to, some way, somehow God will cause it to grow against all odds. David said in Psalms 23 in verse number four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff come for me. I will, I will fear no evil, not because I'm all this, not because I'm all that, but I'll fear no evil because you're with me and your rod and your staff come for me. He said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup run over, runneth over. David made up his mind that he was going to live for God regardless of the circumstances. And then in verse number six of that same 23rd Psalm, he said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my, of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just got some things to nail down. I've just got some things I gotta settle here. Amen. Jesus, when, 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 when Thomas said to the Lord, he said, we don't know whether, whether thou goest. And he said, how can we know the way? And what he missed was what Jesus later underlined. He said, I am the way. How are we going to know the way? How am I going to know what to do? I'm just going to keep walking with him. I'm going to keep walking in the way. Amen. If the Lord leads us, then I will follow him. I'll ask you to stand. You see, when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of, of Egypt's bondage, with Egypt's, with Egypt's behind him, with the men of Pharaoh behind him, and with the Red Sea in front of him, it seemed impossible. But he kept obeying the Lord. You see, when he held the rod out over the sea, that wasn't the first time he obeyed the Lord. No, he, he had been obeying the commands of the Lord many, many times, again and again and again. He was there, he was gone, he was back. And so he had heard the voice of God. He had heard him and he had obeyed. And so when he held the rod in obedience to the word of the Lord, the Red Sea parted and the children of Israel walked across on dry ground, which would have been a miracle enough. But then the Lord let the enemies get into the sea and allowed it to close back. And they were, they didn't just escape by the hair of their chinny chin chin, but they made it. And God took care of the enemy. Amen. God, if we will accept his way, if we will put it in his hands and just keep walking, we must. You know why? because the world is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Hallelujah. I want you to just do me a favor tonight. Maybe your list could be, be very long, 
I'm not asking you to spend a lot of time in this, but I just want to ask you to think about a couple of people in your life that you know faced all manner of weight to destroy, to pull apart, to crush, to snuff out, but they just kept walking. They just kept serving God. Maybe you didn't know intimately every little intricate part of their situation, or perhaps you did and do. And I'm going to ask you, how did that impact your life? When they just kept serving God, they just kept lifting their hands, they kept praying, they kept praising, they just kept pressing. It's hard not to have that impact your life to say, if they can do that, I can do that. If God will sustain them, he will sustain me. Amen. Can we just lift our hands and our voices across this building, magnifying the Lord? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.